it's important that states have the laws to reach actions of buyers in addition to the federal statute, because in 2008, a report had issued finding that due to limited resources at the federal level, nearly 60% of the cases charging commercial sexual exploitation of children were declined for prosecution by U.S. attorney's offices across the nation. The number of state prosecutors as compared to federal prosecutors is somewhere like 40,000 to 4,000. That says everything about the amount of resources that, is, that we need to bring to bear at the state level. We cannot rely on the federal prosecutors alone to stem the demand for child sex trafficking. Hello, and welcome to Invading the Darkness, stories from the fight against child sex trafficking featuring Linda Smith, the founder of Shared Hope International. Join Linda as she shares stories from her 23 years of fighting the battle of domestic minor sex trafficking. Our desire is that each episode of Invading the Darkness will help you understand the importance of fighting child sex trafficking, as well as equip you to join in that fight. In this episode, Samantha Bartiman tells the story of one United States attorney who was determined to see justice done against several buyers of sex. She shares the details of the case and the implications it had going forward. For a long time after the 2000 Trafficking Victim Protection Act was finally passed in 2000, there were people in the federal government from, oh, this was not about Republican-Democrat, it was through three different presidential terms that simply said, we don't think the Trafficking Act applies to buyers. And then some said, we don't think it's important that we prosecute buyers. But the law itself said it included buyers. Very clearly, people that were trying to obtain or solicit many words that said a buyer or someone trying to buy, but there was no action. So was there really any federal law application to buyers? Not much, because they were saying they're just not serious offenders. But that bias had been in our culture a long time. We saw that clear back when we were talking about the Missouri case of the woman's case being thrown out because she was considered immoral after the rape. This bias goes on and is culturally embedded. Some would say, though, our priorities are just different, Linda. We want to get the bad guys. That just restated to me that they don't think buyers of commercial sex are the bad guys. Now, a lot of my friends had different opinions here, so we started working on this and publishing on the issue of demand. So 2006, we published the first demand research in the world that included America, and we presented that to Congress and kept speaking into the issue. If there weren't a buyer, there would not be a snatched child. You have to realize that if, if we're not going to focus on the buyer, we have to let them have our children, because they are driving the market, causing facilitators and traffickers to bring our children to market. Well, this was an ongoing case, and uh, one of our uh, chief attorneys at Shared Hope International's, Samantha Vardaman, she would work on this, this research. We would publish on it over and over again. We'd watch the cases. She would be sending me things like, oh, I'm so disappointed. We just lost that case. Or um, we're looking at this case. And today, we are involved in advising on cases of domestic minor sex trafficking and involved in various ways as appropriate. 
Well, there was just this great case that we were hoping would bring us a prosecution under the federal law. There was finally a case, and that case had some men in it, and they had literally gone shopping for kids and actually been convicted, but then the case was thrown out based on, we don't think it applies to children. We don't think it applies to men shopping for children online. Well, there's more to that case, but it was really frustrating. And we could get information, we could provide information on the sex trafficking laws in each state as well as the federal law as a reminder. But all of a sudden, there was a man who stood up, a U.S. attorney, said, it's time, it's just time, and took and appealed that case. So the case ended up affirming the federal law. And it was called the Younger versus the U.S. government, or U.S. government versus Younger. The reality was they finally gave us a decision that could go back to Congress and say, we know you meant this, and we could get that language actually placed within the law after this case. Now, why is that important? Why should the states care if the federal government is leading by saying buyers aren't seriously important to this? They're just the buyer. Is the people snatching the kids for the buyer. And sometimes the kids themselves that are bad. Oh, but don't do anything to these buyers. Now you can hear I am seriously biased, but I'm not in court. And I believe that, that the heart was so long to letting the men go like the judge said in Missouri, shouldn't apply to men. This is about immoral women. And now that case, I believe, and the backbone and the stamina of that U.S. attorney turned history. It just shows how one person can actually go against the tide, even being made fun of, even challenged, and did it anyway. And he changed history. He redirected the path to justice for these children. Because see, if the buyer wasn't guilty, then who do you have to shift the fault to? In the courts, a public opinion, you know, some girls are just like that. You heard the story of the headlines with Yvonne. Well, Yvonne simply was prosecuted in the press being called a prostitute. Long before her attorney did much of anything, they were out there calling her a prostitute. Teen prostitute murders man. It was an 80-some-year-old man beating her up. But you've heard that story. But what happens to the child if you give a pass to the buyer? not justice. So this case is important that I have you guys hear it. Now, I know you're going to go, "Ah, I don't know legal. I don't care. You'll understand this. You've heard enough in the episodes that we've had, and you'll hear some more from me with other cases that bias positive or negatively the case to bring justice to a child or to children overall. And this is a case Well, yeah, there's a bad guy in that they were shopping for your kids out there, but there's a good guy too. So I've asked Samantha to spend some time just kind of going over her legal brief that was, that was actually published on this case. So there would be a precedent and a publication around that precedent and others could see that and understand it and the states 
could take direction and understanding from the federal government, but the federal courts would know buyers are serious offenders. The Department of Justice, as a policy matter, had long resisted the idea that federal laws would be used to prosecute a buyer of sex in a sex trafficking case. Primarily, the resistance came from the idea that the actual purchase of the sex is a vice crime and that belonged at a, at a state or local level, not a federal crime of sex trafficking. In 2000, the Federal Trafficking Victims Protection Act was enacted. It established the criminal statute, 18 U.S.C. 1591, which described the act of sex trafficking using the terms recruits, entices, harbors, transports, provides, obtains, or maintains by any means a person for purposes of commercial sex activity. In years subsequent, the Trafficking Victims Protection Act had to be reauthorized. And in that process, a debate ensued about the reach of the criminal statute. Did it reach the buyers of sex with a sex trafficking victim? And the federal government, in particular the Department of Justice, resisted that idea that that the federal government would somehow become responsible for enforcing what they considered prostitution laws. And they believed that the buyer of sex acts, really that activity fell to the states and local level to enforce. That was the understanding and uh, and the belief for, for many years. And it was in 2011, finally, that that changed substantially. And that was done through, um, through a case brought in South Dakota. Really what happened there is that the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, which had started to take on a larger role in investigating human trafficking here in the U.S. through their homeland security efforts, And so ICE worked together with local police officers in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, to stage uh, an undercover sting operation called Operation Crossing Guard. In that operation, undercover officers placed advertisements on a couple of websites. Uh, One was Craigslist.com, one was Backpage.com. Um, pretending to be a man offering his girlfriend's daughters, ages 11 and 14, for sex. Two men by the names of Ronald Bonestru and Darren Lee Youngers responded to these advertisements. And they wanted to exchange money for sex with these, with these young girls. When they came to, to perform that, crime, they were both arrested and then indicted for attempted commercial sex trafficking of a child in violation of 18 U.S.C. 1591. They were convicted of that crime, but both of them made a motion for acquittal, and those motions were granted. And it wasn't due to any reason other than that this this statute hadn't been used before in this way. 
18 U.S.C. 1591 had not been used to prosecute a buyer of sex with a sex trafficking victim. It had been used to prosecute the seller of these people, of these victims, uh, the trafficker, or sometimes called the pimp. This is what 18 U.S.C. 1591 was understood to do. And this case really changed that for the nation and established a, a new discussion about how far the criminal sex trafficking statutes should go in the federal context. So Bonestru and Youngers, they claimed that they did not commit the actions that were outlined under that criminal statute, that the purchase was not what that statute was meant to reach. The real hero in the story of U.S. v. Youngers and Bonestru is the U.S. attorney who refused to let this acquittal go. And he authorized his office to go ahead and appeal to bring it, bring it up to the Eighth Circuit and really hash out whether 18 U.S.C. 1591, the federal criminal statute on sex trafficking, was intended to reach actions of buyers. In the government's appeal, they argued that the term obtains which is contained in 18 U.S.C. 1591, may be applied to suppliers and purchasers of commercial sex acts without changing the meaning. And this was really the, the, the thrust of the argument, that there wasn't a stretched meaning here, that it was always intended to reach the actions of buyers and that the use of that word obtains is, is what reached the actions of buyers. And the Eighth Circuit found that indeed the use of the word obtains in the statute was intended to reach the actions of buyers of commercial sex acts with victims of sex trafficking under 18 U.S.C. 1591. At the same time that this court process was taking place, advocacy was taking place through shared hope and allied organizations to ensure that victims of sex trafficking did not have to jump through all of these legal hurdles to see justice done, to see that the buyers were indeed committing a crime of sex trafficking. Not that the buyer is a trafficker, but that the buyer is committing the crime of sex trafficking. And the reason that's important to distinguish is that became part of the disconnect in the advocacy. There were people arguing that a buyer is not a trafficker and that more emphasis and more serious crimes should attach to the action of trafficking than to the action of buying. Shared Hope never believed that because it was clear through the law that Congress intended that the action of obtaining 
a person, in this case minors, for purposes of commercial sex acts, is committing the crime of sex trafficking. That doesn't mean a buyer needs to be called a trafficker. That's irrelevant. That's terminology. The law says that they're committing the crime. Once the Eighth Circuit decision was issued in these cases, and it it made clear that there was no distinction between suppliers or purchasers of commercial sex acts with children. Once that decision was issued, we jumped into action to make sure that this intent of Congress was clarified in the Justice for Victims of Trafficking Act, which was passed in 2015. In 2011, Shared Hope had issued the first state report cards grading the states on the sufficiency of their laws to reach child sex trafficking. One section of that framework focused on the issue of demand. In that analysis, it was important to the grading process that the state laws were capable of reaching the actions of buyers. In many cases, those state laws mirrored the language in the federal sex trafficking statute and used that term, obtains, the very term that the court found did reach the actions of buyers in the U.S. v. Youngers and Bonestru case. For that reason, these states that used that term, obtains, could also be found to have the laws to reach the actions of buyers. It's important that states have the laws to reach actions of buyers in addition to the federal statute, because in 2008, a report had issued finding that due to limited resources at the federal level, nearly 60% of the cases charging commercial sexual exploitation of children were declined for prosecution by U.S. attorney's offices across the nation. It was essential that the state prosecutors and that the state courts had the tools they needed to pick those cases up that were being declined by the U.S. attorney's offices. We couldn't rely solely on the federal government to enforce the laws, making it a crime to sexually exploit our children. The number of state prosecutors as compared to federal prosecutors is somewhere like 40,000 to 4,000. That says everything about the amount of resources that, is, that we need to bring to bear at the state level. We cannot rely on the federal prosecutors alone to stem the demand for child sex trafficking. Thank you for listening to Invading the Darkness, stories from the fight against child sex trafficking. If you would like to learn how you can help put an end to child sex trafficking, please visit sharedhope.com. New episodes of Invading the Darkness are released every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific. If you have enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating as well as a written review. Join us in episode 10, where Linda will explain what rescue looks like for shared hope.